The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Oh, you look dog rough, kid. The quads kept me awake. Oh, I kept having nightmares. The house was full of smoke and I couldn't get out. There you go. This will put a smile on your face. What's that one, Isadol? It's a Japanese fish balloon. Reminded me of you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 87 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish and Street Catch-Up podcast that for the second week on the trot has been able to outsource a segment of its content to a friendly neighbourhood Canadian librarian, I'm Gavin. And I cannot be fucking bothered. <laughs> wow, getting, I think, <laughs> six seconds in. It's been Sorry. a funny old week, hasn't it? I'm, I'm it's just... been a week on Mondays, I think. And I was really foolish last night, this morning... Because, you know, I couldn't sleep, so I just stayed up and finished binge-watching The Witcher. <laughs> and so I didn't come to bed until, like, 2.30. Yeah, I woke up at 1 for a pee, and you weren't there. No, and I heard you. I was like, oh, is he going to come down and ask me what the hell I'm doing still up? And you didn't. No. To, to your... No, you're an adult. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you're responsible for your own actions. Thank you very much. Yes, and and I paid for it this morning. <laughs> So who was a witcher? It was really good. I finally understand why people are so obsessed with Henry Cavill. Who? He's the guy. He he plays the witcher, but he also, he's the new Superman. Oh. Yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah, big blocky head. He grunts a lot in the witcher. He grunts a lot? Yes, he goes. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I have no idea. I have, not, <clears throat> I have no knowledge about this whatsoever. Well, Neither did I really, except for, you know, a lot of people were saying that it kind of scratches the Game of Thrones itch. Oh, I don't have a Game of Thrones itch. I'm just glad it's over. Well, yes, <laughs> but like the good Game of Thrones. Remember when we really loved Game of Thrones? I can't remember. It was so long ago. <laughs> it was like, but no, it stopped was, in season it was, four, didn't it? Season three, season four. Something like that. No, but it's it's really good. The story is really good. There are lots of great characters you know it's it's not rapey at all you know unlike game of thrones Mm. but there's still lots of boobies for people who like to see boobies game of thrones kind of backed away from that towards the end yeah so the witcher's just not taking its nod from that then no but it's 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 got a female showrunner and there are lots and lots and lots of great female characters you know who don't have to get their start by being raped in the very first season so right it's all good i enjoyed it i have not played the video game i have not read any of the books well there's a video game i know so little about this <laughs> yeah and there's a, <clears throat> like a huge book series oh so. well 
But yeah, so far so good. I really enjoyed it. That that was my television watching, really. That and that Aaron Hernandez documentary series on Netflix, which was just depressing and awful. I mean, it was it was good, but it was also depressing. <laughs> you know, it's it's. I don't know. I don't know why I I, I sit through documentaries about football players who murdered three people and then hung themselves in prison and was a closeted homosexual. So I needed When you the started this sentence, did you, did you think <laughs> so it was going, needed, a, going down a happy path? I needed the witcher to cheer me up. <laughs> I've been reading or rather listening to uh, two Alex Ryder novels that have come out since I last checked. Are they as cheesy as the old ones? Oh, just as cheesy, if not a lot more so. They've got a new guy that, that's doing the audiobook, who's uh-huh. a little less cheesy than the first guy. Oh. Dan Stevens, I think, is the guy that's doing the audiobooks. Okay. And it used to be Oliver Chris, and Oliver Chris was Cheesy. Mr. Cheese. <laughs> I imagine I'm recording the audiobook with I imagine him as a mouse. With a, with a wedge of cheese on his head. Yes, he's a fan of the Green Bay Packers. Yes, and not a fan of being able to do a decent Scottish accent. <laughs> no. Well, it seems like English voice actors consistently have a problem with the Scottish accent. Don't remember? do it then. Just don't do it. R- remember the guy that we listened to on the way home with that um that novel that we listened to on the way home, the one um the one that, that was Kate set Atkinson. in Scotland, the one that was set in yeah, Scotland. The Kate Atkinson that had one. An English guy doing that the, was set mm-hmm. in Scotland and had an English guy doing the Help my audiobooks. bob. <laughs> Jesus, just so bad. <laughs> it was a good book though. And I'm sure this is fascinating to everyone who's expecting some <laughs> Cory content here. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Oh, quite elegant in the preamble, actually. Yeah, that's fine. Have some Elidor Cory news. <laughs> Cory is planning an hour-long special for its 10,000th episode. What? <laughs> Apparently, it will be classic Corey, comedic and lighthearted, whereas the six- and in black and white. Sure, yeah. I know. They're gonna they're gonna get the guy who did the lighthouse to direct it. I know, <laughs> I know I for just an hour and a half. Although I don't foresee for a week. that being yeah, light- good things about that comedic and yeah, I know. By the time by the time we had time to see it, been and it gone. was it was been and been and gone and let's face yet it, another- black and white movies. Do not have a long shelf life and in the yet Midwest. yet another film that uh, has been snubbed by the Oscars, but I digress. Anyway, uh, as I was saying, it will be comedic and lighthearted, whereas the 60th anniversary episode, which is slated for later on this year, yep. will be much more intense. Oh, intense. Intense and explosive. Oh, they're not going to try and blow things up again, are they? I hope not. There's not much else left on the street to all blow up. All you need is Shona in the box. That's all you need. Oh, stick Shona in the box again. No, please don't stick Shona in a box. Poor Shona. Ben Price's film, Hope Dies Last, was shown this week as part of the York Filmmakers short film event for Holocaust oh. Memorial Day. And it will be shown this week at the Story House in Chester. Oh, good for it. Yeah. Getting lots of viewings in. That's excellent. It's What's it like the... seven minutes long? You seen it yet? I still haven't seen it. Huh? 
Have you seen it yet? No, I saw the other one. I haven't seen this one yet. You saw it though, yeah? Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. good. There's not a single line of dialogue in it. Wow. So it's essentially silent as well. It's been very short. Wow. It's very good. Very powerful. Yeah, I would imagine so. Finally, Forey Forey. Forey Corey? Or a furry curry? Oh, that would be gross, wouldn't it? A furry I've had a curry. couple of furry curries in my Ew. life. <laughs> Finally, former Corey star Richard Fleischman is set to bring out an album in March as part of oh, the God. musical duo Maker Man. We last saw a very uh, naked Richard last year on Hulu's TV adaptation of Four Weddings at a Funeral. Always with the Richard Fleischman on his penis. Well, I was... I, 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 I just, was thinking. I, I just started that. I'm thinking. I wonder. I wonder how long it's going to be before we mention thinking, his penis. I was thinking more of his ass, because he's got a nice ass too. It's I, very tight. I, I'll take your word for that. I I much prefer, I much a, much prefer a nice looking ass than you know. Well, there's not so much you can do with a penis, I guess. <laughs> you have a very nice ass. Oh, I didn't know, didn't know how that sentence was going to end. <laughs> okay, okay then. I've always appreciated your ass. It's more than a handful. I've Perfect. had trouble with my nipples today. <laughs> my nipples at work <laughs> were erect all day. And I, unfortunately, I was wearing a really thin polo shirt. And so people were commenting on it. Are you cold, Gav? That's sexual harassment. Do you have any place I can hang this wet duffel coat? Nobody said that to you. They said it with their eyes. <laughs> We've settled down now, though, is, so is, is I was this, kind of worried this, for a while. Is this just you being self-conscious, like you were that time <laughs> that you wore a ladies' t-shirt into a restaurant <laughs> in North Dakota, of all places? <laughs> and I said, "It's fine. Nobody cares." But you were like, "No, everybody cares." And I'm like, "Nobody cares." I was the, the bartender, eyes are up here, pal. My eyes are up here. <laughs> I was, I was wearing that T-shirt like two days yeah, two ago. Two days ago, yeah. yeah. I had to donate it for, yeah, to me. Mm-hmm. I really donate it. I had to stop and think. I thought for a second maybe I was wearing it now, but I'm not. I'm wearing my. If I was flying, Goose would still be alive. T-shirt. Yep. I've got some weird T-shirts. Is that Corey news? <laughs> That's Corey news. I took forty-five minutes. I waited forty-five minutes for that. <laughs> Corey News, talking about your ass and your nipples. <laughs> Honestly, they were getting sore. They were like bullets. Oh. Uh, our mailbag. <laughs> it's going to be another one of those weeks. <laughs> our... Okay, let's Why? be professional about this. We're getting paid for this. <laughs> our, ma- our mailbag. Kathleen uh, on Facebook wrote, and quotes, Not Irish Chris O'Dowd. Laugh out loud emoji. She says, I said the same thing to my husband when watching it. Oh, excellent. <laughs> See, I'm not wrong. It, he does look like Chris O'Dowd. Then John got in touch saying, listening just now, uh, uh, the bit where we were talking about Lost in Space. Uh, There's a new series on Netflix that's... and it's great fun. And there is a lot of the robot going on about saying Danger Wolf, <laughs> Robinson and Parker Posey is brilliant as the evil imposter. Yes. The original was in the 1960s. Yes. Then Janet wrote in to say, I mostly watch them fast forward these days. Such silly storylines. Thanks, Janet. Mark then says, I'm Nobody so- dying by blow dryer, though. Then Mark got in touch to say, I'm 
I'm so pissed with Yasmin after 200 litres of anti-back and 750 dusters. Why hasn't she cleaned the fucking CD rack and found the camera? Yeah, no shit. Lazy woman, he says. <laughs> I, it is pretty amazing that she hasn't found that stupid thing. Hindsight Corner. Uh, blue, 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 A. <laughs> now, last week, you may remember that we were joined by Christy, who's helped to do the Hindsight Corner for the foster children and people who lived with Rita over the years. Yes, she's our Canadian librarian friend. Yes. A. And she she did two things for us. She did the... Uh, the Rita stuff. The Rita stuff, and then she also did the... What did Roy mean when he said that he let down Haley? Right. And this is what we're going to listen to. Right now. Right this minute. Now, while the first question dealt with a more fact-based research, finding out who had been fostered officially or in an unofficial capacity by Rita, the second question is much more subjective in nature, as I don't believe we'll ever really know exactly what the character meant, as much of it is left to subtext. But as it deals with one of my favorite characters, I couldn't resist giving it a good analysis. So what exactly did Roy mean when he told Carla that he let Haley down? How did he let her down? Well, the way I see it, Haley made the decision to end her life at a time of her choosing before the terminal pancreatic cancer that she had could claim her. Roy was never agreeable to this decision as he felt that he could keep her alive and comfortable and ultimately with him for as long as possible. Correct, but he this. was unable to convince her otherwise and he held her as she died after drinking her lethal cocktail. In fact, he was so upset by her decision both morally and emotionally after her death that he stubbornly refused to go to her funeral until Carla basically forced him into his suit. Mm -hmm. So just from the dialogue between him and Carla that sparked this question, she said, you did your very best for Richard. And he says, like I did my best for Haley. And she retorts, oh, come on, you can't compare the two. It was completely different meaning that Richard's death was the result of an unfortunate accident, while Haley's was the result of her choice to end her life on her own terms. Right. There is one similarity, he says, I remain among the living, Oof. and they do not. Yeah. And I think this encompasses what Roy is feeling, and that is a, a bit of survivor's guilt. I believe he has been carrying that around since Haley's death. Roy is not a character that often shows such raw emotion, but when he does, it's these amazing moments that comes when it's dealing with somebody that he loves unconditionally. He's willing to do whatever it takes, ready to give whatever he can of himself in order to either keep them alive or at least as comfortable as possible. We saw that when Carla returned back from Devon with kidney failure and he was determined that she stay with him and let him look after her, insisting that he will not stand by and watch someone else he loves die. And while he knew that there was nothing he could do to cure Richard from his terminal disease, he still took it upon himself to take care of his dying half-brother who he had only just recently met and keep him comfortable until the end. But Richard's accident and untimely death caused that survivor's guilt to flare up once more. And in his rationale, he couldn't keep either Richard or Haley alive and comfortable until death took them naturally. 
Both died before their quote-unquote time, whether by an unfortunate accident in Richard's case or by being unable to sway his wife's decision in Haley's, and he feels the guilt of that no matter how misplaced. Oh, my Royston. I just absolutely adore him. And with that, I shall throw this back to Gavin Helen. Thank you both so much for offering this opportunity to put my librarian skills (laughs) to some good Corey-themed use. And of course, if anyone out there knows any more about Rita's fostering history or if I've missed anyone, please let Gavin Helen know through at Corey Podcast on any of their social media channels or via email at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. I know I will. Cheers. Aww. Hey. <laughs> I don't think Richard, Richard was terminal. He, he didn't really die because of falling over. Well, can I... Yeah, it, it kind of, it, didn't yeah, it? Mm-hmm. it kind of helped it along, but he was dying anyway. What a fantastic effort from <coughs> our Kirsty! Thank you so much for Absolutely. taking the time to do that. We really appreciate it. Yes, we do. It's good to have other voices on the podcast. Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I was waiting for you to say welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> it's last year tonight. <coughs> Just enough time to quickly talk about Big Ginger Stud. Can you remember what that was? Uh, it was about it was about Gary. Yep. This was Sarah Gross. Nicola and Izzy talking about Gary. I was Gavin and you were back, bitches. Oh that's right. Because I was Um You were replaced the week before. Right, yep. By Chris, yes, that one. Yes, and I was still recovering from hernia surgery. I, st- I had that that vacuum thing attached to my belly, remember that? And that Oh yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Good, good times. times, good times. <laughs> Our Twitter follower count was 39. We find out that Simon didn't knock up Amy because he's still a virgin, and it's actually Tyler who done it. Audrey becomes the ninth person to move into number eight. There's still some doubt about Evelyn being Tyrone's mum. Well, I was convinced that Evelyn was Tyrone's mum. Yeah, you were. I still think that's a possibility. No. Abby gets a job interview and claims that she's been to Botswana when she hasn't. Roy's mum dies. Oh. Bertie's Bells is a natural <laughs> storyline. And the moment of the week was Evelyn telling Tyrone that she's not the grand he's looking for. And boring moment of the week was Ryan and Bethany being dull. <laughs> and that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Yeah, because remember Ryan and Bethany were kind of an item. Of course <coughs> Kind of an item for like a brief, a brief shining moment. For about eight months they were, uh, well, are they or are they not? Yeah. I wonder if that increases the friction between her and Alia. Shall we dive in? I'm a deer. Sure. Why not? I don't know what I'd do if you said no. <laughs> we just stop. Stop right now. No. <laughs> yes. I could put in the, the little elevator music thing again. <laughs> <clears throat> our first, our first storyline tonight is the Kel aftermath. On Monday at home, Summer reveals that everyone has seen the Kel video. Paul is convinced that it was a plan that might have worked, but Billy is more sceptical. Do we just give up? asks Paul. No, says Billy. We move forward. So Billy's kind of the opinion that this shouldn't be eaten up Paul as much as it seems to be anymore. Yeah, and why? I mean, he's he's just started therapy. Kel is still on the streets. I'm kind of disappointed with the way people are just kind of like, meh. Right. About this now. 
Bernie's in the corner shop chatting to Cathy about the quads. She gets a mystery text as Paul comes in, and then she reveals it was from an old friend who has no idea where Kel has disappeared to. They chat about the Billy conversation, which Paul isn't sure how he feels about. Until she's sure of how he feels, Bernie will keep looking. Then at home, Gemma and Chesney are chatting about the previous day's events. Ches says Bernie thinks that she's a flipping equaliser. <laughs> oh, that was a nice reference. Yeah, it was. Edward Woodward. <laughs> then all the babies start crying. Of course. I love this, how... This, this seems to be a thing now. He's like, whenever there's a lull in the conversation, the babies start crying. Uh-huh. If we don't know how to finish like, the scene, on, babies start crying. Right, yeah. On, on cue. Mm-hmm. Billy runs into... Bernie and Roy's roles who tears into him for thinking thoughts and prayers can fix the situation. He doesn't think being a vigilante works either, and Roy tends to agree, which is enough to send Bernie packing in disgust. Then Fizz gets torn into Billy, saying that if you're a mum, you'll do anything to protect your kids. Kind of harken to her own storyline, which we'll talk about much later. Correct. They get the babies down and Gemma wants to sleep, but Chesney thinks they have too many other jobs to do, and reluctantly he allows her to sleep and then goes to get the messages in. So Gemma and the quads are sleeping soundly when someone pours petrol through the letterbox and sets it on fire. What? The smoke alarm goes off, but it's not enough to wake anyone up. Which is funny because the quads seem to wake up at the drop of a hat. Seriously. Chesney comes home and sees the flames through the door. He bursts in and tries to stamp the fire out no. until Abby shows up with a fire extinguisher. It was Abby who who used the fire extinguisher to barge down the door. Oh, Chesney you? couldn't do it. <laughs> I'll tighten what this it is was going on. Abby... Who used the, at, she used the fire extinguisher to knock the door down. It was Abby who put the fire out and then no one thanked her. <laughs> How long has it been since that door was last knocked down? I don't know, but they got it back up again. Remember when... Uh, <laughs> yes, and the, then they had the whiskey drink and the vodka drink. Yes, and, and the lager drink and the cider drink. Remember when... Gemma and Paul bought a smoke machine. Oh, yeah. And was it Chesney and Kev who kicked that door down? I don't remember. It was Ches- probably Chesney Kev. Chesney and someone. Yeah. Kev. Probably Kev. Kev. Chesney at least partial credit for kicking the door down at least once. Um. So we have to report, we're going to have to replace that door for the second time in the year. Yeah, because <clears> there's a lot of smoke damage to it. Right. Someone's written pedo on Chesney's window. And of course... Abby is going to be the one that rescues the situation because Abby is the only one capable of rescuing the situation ever. Right, yeah. How many people has she rescued now? Well, everyone in the factory. Right. When she switched off the, the doodah. Right. She saved, I guess, Jim and the quads. Yes. Who else did she save? She saved somebody else. Yeah, she did. Was she the one who put out the fire in the barrel with the fireworks? No, she wasn't there for that. I thought she was. She does something else, though. And that's why Kev was grateful to her, and that's why he, he finally forgave her and started wanting to get into her pants again, wasn't it? No. Oh. Oh, maybe she didn't. Maybe, she, maybe that's all she does. <laughs> I don't know. I'll cut all that out. She saves a lot of people. Someone's written pedo on Ches's window. The quads need to go into hospital to get checked out, and Ches takes no time blaming this on the shenanigans that Paul and Ben had got up to the Red Wreck the other day. Paul holds his head as he blames himself. At the hospital, the quads seem to be fine, but Ches is still pissed that Bernie and Paul have uh, attracted vigilantes to the house. He's fucking furious, and Gemma agrees. He goes off to check on the kids, but mostly just wants to get away from Paul and Bernie. Then mostly Bernie, Bernie. Right. Then Bernie finally reveals why Kel's website had Chesney's house on it, and therefore why the house was targeted. Bernie is sorry and tells Gemma to call her if she needs her and leaves. 
Great stuff. Yes. I remember thinking that at the time when we saw his website. Why is Chesney's house? Mm-hmm. Because that's where he was living when he took the picture. And, and, so, and so that later so on. Now this can yeah. happen. On Wednesday, Chesney's home was a state. Bernie is spraying Febreze, which doesn't really help. Billy thinks a clean house would be a, a start to make things better for Chesney and the quads. And at the hospital, Bernie has brought Gemma and Ches a Japanese fish balloon. The police, it was cute, I liked it. The police go in and say they're taking the attack seriously and there'll be a marked car outside their house uh, 24 hours a day. Let's not take any risks. And Paul and Bernie shut their pants a little bit. Chesney thinks they need to move. Bernie insists it was just kids, but Ches isn't convinced. Gemma agrees with her mum, but Ches explains that Freshcoats will put them up in a fancy hotel. Get in there, says Gemma. Absolutely. We'll be doing that then. Absolutely. The quads are ready to leave hospital, and Gemma asks yeah, Paul if he's going to drop the Kel stuff. Yeah, everybody wants Paul to just drop it. Oh, it's fine. Thank you for telling us that this guy abused you as a child. Now, You're an adult, stop. so shut up. Right? Yeah, stop talking about it. Really? Gemma doesn't blame Paul, but if he doesn't let it go, people are going to get hurt. Oh, that's a strange thing for Gemma to say. Absolutely. So we're blaming... We're blaming the victim here. We're, we're blaming We're Paul victim now. blaming, yes. Okay. On Friday, Paul and Billy are having fun playing darts when Bernie comes in and suggests that they imagine Kel's head on the dartboard and yeah. the mood shits the bed. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of a ridiculous thing for her to say. We're all having fun. And then she brings up Kale. Right, yeah. And oh, jeez, great. And at the bar, Rita tells Bernie what a horrid bitch she's been and how everything is her fault. Yes. So Bernie goes home and is now keen on helping. She's got a bucket and a, and a sponge. Yeah, and, and she's down on the floor scrubbing. Billy sees somebody through needs this. to scrub that door. The door is the one thing that's all black from the fire. But somebody kicked it in. That's useless. Well, no, because they, they still seem to through the the lock and the hinges and stuff. They still seem to be able to open it and close it though. Billy sees through it and tells her that Paul needs calm, not revenge. So Bernie goes round to see Paul and tells him that she's off ski. She wanted to say goodbye and Paul's a bit gobsmacked by this. He asks why and she says that that he knows why. What? And then all of a sudden, (laughs) from the the bathroom... Oh, a half-naked Billy walks out. Comes out wet... Half naked Billy and wearing tattooed. just a towel yes. with this with this uh, tribal tattoo over his shoulder. Like any good priest <laughs> <laughs> or vicar has. On a very hairy chest. Was it? I didn't know it. So I was too busy looking away. <laughs> Let's not make this emotional, she says. <coughs> he calls her out for swanning in and upsetting her lives and then fucking off again and she says and she says, Yep, that's me. Par for the course. She apologizes for Kel and she's off. She has other lives to ruin. And the taxi turns up waka and Paul waka. and Billy see her off. And prompted by Billy, Paul tells her that he loves her. She loves her wee potato face too. Spud face. I thought she said potato face. Spud, Spud face. face. She jumps in the cab and off she fucks. She went back, says Billy. Yeah, no, says Paul. And that's the end of that storyline this week. Absolutely. Happy or sad that... Will she be back? Bernie disappearing? Yeah, she probably will be off the yeah. thought. Maybe not for a couple of years. <laughs> I'm not sure how popular she was as a character with, with viewers. I read an awful lot of negative things about I her. I don't think she was very popular as a character. You know, she kept having these moments where it seemed like the character was really turning around, but the character really never found its footing. You know, because one second she'd be really trashy 
and scummy. And the next minute she's talking about auras and, and calling them, you know, Apollo and, and Gemini, Gemini, you know, it seems like they, they really never knew what to do with the character. You know, as far as there was never really any character development. She was used as a conduit to move this whole Cal story along and everything. But you never really got to see, got to really understand who she was as a character. And I don't think even the writers knew what kind of person she was. Yeah, that seems fair. I think they threw an awful lot at the wall and not an awful lot of things stuck. They right. had all these attributes that they've got in a bucket. Right, just kind of threw it. Oh, she's a, a star child, so we'll, we'll put that and then she's... But she's, she's also one with Aurora, so we'll throw that in. But she's also a bit scummy, so we'll right. throw that in, and then yeah. we'll just throw it in. She's a bit impetuous, so we'll throw that in, and then right, and then the impetuous thing kind of stuck a little bit. But yeah, uh, by that point you were kind of—I don't know who this is. I, I right. kind of liked. Uh, there were bits I liked, but yeah, there was an awful lot that didn't make a a huge ton of sense. No, no. So maybe by the time she comes back, they will have figured out what really who that character is and not just what they want to do with her. Are we continuing with the Paul victim blaming? <laughs> well, now that she's gone, I guess maybe not. Well, no, because she's the one person who wasn't victim blaming. You know, it's it's Billy and Gemma who's telling him to shut up and get over it. And For fuck's sake, you went to the therapist that one time. Right, yeah. This Aren't is, you over it? This is the thing. <laughs> Billy was... So proactive in in getting him to confess to his family and to go to the therapist. And now that he's done that, it seems like Billy's like, all right, well, let's move on to the next thing. We've talked about this already. I'm just going to go take another shower and then (laughs) trot out in a towel. Very, very wet. This is really kind of lingered for you, hasn't it? It really has. I literally said, oh, God. It's like going to be a moment (laughs) of the week. When he walked out, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, I guess. Paul's mum's here. <laughs> well, yeah, that, you know, would you walk out wearing just no. a towel if no. my mother was no. here? No. 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 Right enough, nobody told him that Bernie was in, I guess. So. Well, I'm sure he heard her. It's not like she's quiet. No. Ugh. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. And I, I was surprised by the tattoo. I have to admit, I was a little surprised by the tattoo. I wasn't surprised by I the hair. I think I've seen that before. I think I've seen the tattoo before. I wasn't surprised by the hair, but I was surprised by the tattoo. Because you can see some of some tufts of hair popping out of his shirt sometimes. You're right. <laughs> Fascinated with chest okay. hair. <laughs> I do like some chest hair. Well, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> I did think it was quite funny, though, that the show basically addressed the fact that she came in just to upset the apple cart. And the, now she's going to leave. leave. Right. Because they basically just said that. Yeah. She may as well have come out and said, the only reason I was here was just to fuck things up a little bit. Right. I've done that. And now I'm away. Yes. Cheerio. <laughs> Our next storyline tonight is Shona not in a coma. Yay! On Monday, Nick pops into number eight to see David, worried that he was upset in the pub last night. I'm trying to think, what was he upset in the pub last night about? Shona yeah. being in a coma. Right. Or and Shona th- no th- longer being in a coma. I'm and thinking that Nick th- was whole... making it all about him. 
Right, yes. Just because Nick mentioned once, uh-huh. once, he mentions once in this whole situation that he had a brain injury. Right. Once. He mentioned it once. Just making it all about Nick. Oh, God. That was last night, and David wants to spend as much time with Shona as he possibly can before they move her, even if she doesn't want to see him. He'll sit outside the room if he has to. Then in the bistro, David confirms that Shona let him into the room and she's off to Leeds today. He doesn't know how he's going to juggle the kids and travelling to Leeds. He assumes that Gail is going to have to pick up the slack. What? <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Gail. <laughs> Nobody asks Gail about this. That's, do you mind raising my children while I'm that's what rushing backwards and forwards to Leeds? That's what grandmothers do, though. But he's thought of an alternative option. David yes. wants to speak with Max, who's itching to run up the stairs. David tells Max about Shona having to go to a special unit in Leeds and David needs Max's help. Nick and David will be around, but maybe he could stay at Moira's for a couple of nights a week. And Max eventually is agreeable to this and David calls Max one in a million. Why is David so keen to send Max away to Marion's? <laughs> it feels like it's, it feels more like he's, he's throwing a bone to Marion more than anything, but poor Max. Because he says, can I see Lily? No. <laughs> Can you Lily come too? No, no. No, you can't see your sister. I, I'm sorry. I can understand him thinking that this would be a good time for him to spend time with Marion. I kind of get that. But Max is a teenager now who can help with his little sister, right. who can help his grandmother keep a house. I mean, would he? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. You know, he has been kind of a pain in the ass lately, but, but only when they need him to be. The responsibility might, might change that. Right. And Max blames himself for a lot of this. We've already addressed the fact that Max blames himself for a lot of this. It seems kind of cruel to be sending him off. I just don't know why David was so adamant that, nah, yeah, there's no way in the world just staying here. You're going to have to go. What? Can I come with you? No, you can't come with me either. Can I do it? Can I just... No, you can't just stay here. <laughs> Why are you sending me to Marion? so determined to send me to Marion's. It's a very odd thing to happen. It, I, think, I think it's meant to show growth in David that... But then again, he and Shona were already letting him go over Yeah, he was just not Marian. to... I don't know. Maybe it was just a reason to bring Marion back. Tempted to hit us. Timbot4000 says this does not compute. Timbot4000 is correct. This does not compute. (sighs) Thanks, Siri. (laughs) So Marion turns up to pick up Max and she grabs his kit and off they fuck. Max insists he'll be fine and hopes that Shona gets better. Max runs up the stairs to get his phone charger and Marion insists that she'll take good care of him. Max looks pensive, sitting on the stairs, listening to this. Yes. And at the hospital, it's time to leave. David wheels Shona away, who looks like she's ready to scream. Yeah, she looks absolutely... (laughs) Terrified. She's just, you know, last just last week, she was telling the doctor and the nurses that she was... She never wanted to see David again. Don't let him back in here. no idea who he was. She still has no idea who he was. And they're like, all right, off you go with this man that you don't know. Mm-hmm. He's going to take you to Leeds. Couldn't they have put her in an ambulance? 
And take- well, I think David's taking her to the ambulance. I think that's what's happening. Why couldn't why couldn't they have a nurse An orderly or whatever yeah. to the ambulance and just have David walk? Because the way that it was written and the way that it sounded was like He's she was to- wheeling her he was wheeling her to his car and was gonna drive her up to Leeds. Right. With just the two of them alone in a car. Yep. It's, what? I, I get this is the whole Shona leaving while she's on maternity leave exit. This is how we're getting rid of her. Right. Obviously, right? Yes. The way they're doing it is really, really strange <laughs> because it's almost like this story from Shona's point of view is that she's in very, very imminent danger. Right. And, and for some reason, sent away. and Max is getting sent away to, to Granny's, mm-hmm. David is about to lose the fucking plot here. It's kind of how it comes across if you look at it from anybody other than David's point of view. And I don't know why they're doing it that way. I, d- I don't know what's I don't know what's coming out of this. It's it's, it's strange. There should absolutely be an orderly pushing that wheelchair, not well, David. I mean, I have and to assume sh- that it's going somewhere with this. This is going to be part of a a later storyline that she's still not sure who he is. One would one would hope or think. No, so eventually really- she'll no she'll come back and she'll be her own self again, and they'll be like. Oh, I have I've recovered now. Bit. They, you know, I'm so glad that I had that time in Leeds, and now I'm all better. They put me in rehabilitation, and I got my memory back. The end. And I'm so glad that Max is and still now, still at Mary's. And now I know what a camel is. A camel. A camel. Remember? Oh, yes. the rhinoceros, the lion, and the camel. She, she can successfully <laughs> identify a camel. Yeah. Okay, okay. Our next storyline tonight is Kev the Crank, the sequel. On Monday, Ray Weinstein and Abby are still a thing. I was curious if they were still a thing, but yeah, apparently they are. Well, he hasn't he hasn't creeped her out yet. And they arrange to meet later at the bistro. He drives off in his fancy car that Tim likes to look off. Tim and Abby are chatting outside uh, about his divorce. He's heard nothing about it. Charlie still hasn't returned the papers. So whoa, Abby, whoa. Abby turns up late for work, complaining about a banging headache, but insisting to Kev that it's not a hangover. He's still got a bean his bonnet about Abby getting her hole off of Ray when Tim lets it slip that she was out celebrating her exam results last night. So Kev tells her she can forget having lunch today. Or, or as you put it, <laughs> go fuck yourself. Abby, Abby catches up with Kev at the Rovers, throwing him the keys to the garage. He tells, She tells him that a part didn't come in for one of the cars, so he couldn't fix it, and he's livid about it. And she says, well, I phoned the customer and she was fine, so sharp. Yeah, seriously. He continues to give her a hard time, despite the fact that she helped Tyrone and Fizz. She has a sugar daddy now, he tells her, and he calls her Einstein because she passed two GCSEs. Why has Kev been such a dick? Well, because he's jealous, and he's not getting his hole. Abby sees what's going on here and says, at least she knows how Kev feels about her, and off she storms. Tim calls Kev an idiot, and Kev just kind of nods. Yep. Yeah, fair, fair point. And later, Tim thinks Kev has taken pleasure from dissing Tim and Sally. Tim thinks that Kev is old and boring, and that's why it didn't work out with Abby. Kev thinks Tim likes playing fast and loose with the truth. Oh yeah, asks Tim, did it explain Jack? And Kev is burnt and leaves. Burn. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, Tim goes round to the garage to find Kev, still upset him for speaking his mind yesterday. Who needs mates like you, asks Kev. Then Chris... Oh. What's her name? Charlie. Then Charlie turns up at Tim's. He doesn't, he doesn't remember giving her his address. Ruh-roh. And he quickly turns over photos of him and Sally in the house so that she doesn't see them. Charlie found him through the cab office. She's surprised that the house isn't more chintzy. 
No, she's surprised that the house is chintzy. Oh, she's. I'm not sure what chintzy means. She's surprised that it's not more masculine. Oh, he claims it's just a lodger there. She expected it to be all like black leather. And he asks if she's here to drop off the divorce papers, and she announces, "Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that." Rut row. Tim's made a cuppa, and Charlie announces that she's lost her job and is 5k in the hole. Tim, whoa, 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 stops her right there. Charlie has lost both jobs that she had, and she needs to clear her debt before she can help anyone else. Charlie wants five grand for her trouble, or there's no divorce. She's entitled to a settlement. Now, remember when he first found her? Right. Working in that bar. Right. Wasn't, wasn't 5k what she jokingly said that she wanted in the divorce? No, I don't remember. It was something like that. It was either 5k or 10k. Charlie seems to have left and then appears back at Tim's with her luggage. She's been evicted and is now demanding to stay at his until she gets paid. Ruh-roh. She's at it. In comes Abby and Tim calls her the cleaner and then secretly explains what's going on in the kitchen. Tim turns up at Kev's with beer. He apologises again and Kev admits that he was out of order too. They make up and agree to devour the beer. So they've blasted through it and Tim wants a Jurgen Klopp hug. Tim and Kev reminisce about how they used to be close until Steve came on the scene. Then Tim explains that what's been going on. Steve. Then Tim explains what's been going on with Charlie and then tries to tap Kev for the five grand. Kev realizes what's going on, gets angry, and throws Tim out. That was funny. Yep. So on Friday, Tim is home, he can't find the money, and Charlie won't sign the papers until the debts are paid. In comes Faye, and Charlie introduces herself as her stepmummy. That was pretty funny was as well. Like, Hi, I'm your stepmummy. <laughs> Faye's like what? what the fuck? Tim has explained the situation to Faye, and Faye quite rightly thinks that Charlie can't stay here, and Tim tells her that Charlie doesn't know that Tim is married to Sally. <laughs> Faye proceeds then to blackmail Tim. Yes. Give me some money or I'm telling. 50 quid. Uh, well, give me some money to help you with this. Right. I thought that was quite funny that Faye, despite being Tim's, is petrified of uh, lying to Sally. Because I'm not going to lie I'm to Sally. I'm not lying to Sally. So Tim pays her off to be quiet. Then Tim goes into the Rovers to beg no, Steve for... to help him. That's why he pays her off. He pays her to help him. And to also to keep quiet. Yes. Then Tim goes into the Rovers to beg Steve for five grand. Kev, who still has a knot in his knob, announces to Eileen and Emma about Tim's bigamy. Eileen and Steve want to buy Tim out of the cab firm. And then Emma thinks that this is appalling and offers to lend her some of her inheritance, which shames Steve into helping. Steve and Kev. Oh, Steve and Kev are both helping? Yes. Oh, that's nice. The two of them are going to split it. Then Tim meets up with Charlie and hands over the cash. Now go and get those fucking papers signed, he says. Charlie starts flooding her eyelids and he tells her to text him once she's been to the lawyers. So, I'm not quite sure because they're in and Roy's roles at this point. And what, then, yes, and while they're in Roy's roles, Jenny comes in. And Jenny, who, by the way, is just nothing but a fucking nuisance all week. And she says... Yeah, I feel better for that now. And, you know, and she asks where Roy is and mysteriously... Roy is nowhere to be seen. Nobody is there. Mm-hmm. Nobody's there. She, you know, she says something about the man wanting to close up. Close and I'm up, assuming yeah. she means Roy is the man. And then Jenny's like, oh, never mind. You know, Roy said it was okay if I pin this to the board. And so she pins something to the board, which I can only assume is a job. Oh, spoiler. Help wanted. You spoiled this ad. next paragraph. Mm-hmm. Oh, you seem quite pleased about that. Yes, I am. So, Tim then leaves Roy's roles and heads to the Rovers, and he must do something between 
because he shits his pants when he sees that Charlie is now working behind the bar. Yes, yes. What the there's, actual? There's nobody. There's nobody there. And he calls out, you know, can I get some help around here? And Charlie walks out, and he's like, "Timbot four thousand says this does not compute." That's exactly what he's like. <laughs> and 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 she serves him. So please love one. <laughs> You're welcome for giving you, you know, a lead in to use your button. Thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. And then she says the funniest thing that I have heard on the street since Amy said something about teen pregnancies. Yeah, that was hilarious. Remember when Amy said, you know, that that her the the statistically living on Coronation Street, oh, she yes. was she was going to be a teen right. mom. <laughs> you look around you. No, Charlie says, you said it was really difficult to find a shop on the street, but here I've just gone and found one. Straight away. Straight away, in like five minutes. This is great. And I'm just, what? He still doesn't know what's Why going on. Why does Jenny need help? She's got Emma. She's got Sean. Johnny's missing in action at the moment. And that's how far we get with that storyline uh, this week. It kind of seems like Charlie still has a thing for Tim. She certainly looked at him in a certain way in the Rovers and... Oh, no, in Roy's roles. Yeah. She looked at him as if she was like, oh, do you know, I've made, I've made a mistake here. And, and, Tim and, and she said it was nice to oblivious. catch up with him again. And although it's been so long and it only lasted for like a couple of days or whatever, really weird. Yeah. I am thoroughly enjoying Charlie, though. She is... Putting the cat amongst the pigeons, certainly. Breath of fresh air. Right. That actress is uh, slated to do some theatre work in Liverpool in a couple of months, so I don't think that she's going to be a permanent fixture, but I'm really enjoying her while she's here. Yeah, me too. She follows us on Twitter now. Does she? Yeah. Hiya! Which means it, that we love her. I, how do you pronounce that name again? Sean? S-I-A-N? Shan? Shan. Huh? Shan. Shan? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm American. Shut up. That doesn't mean that you can't pronounce things, although well, apparently it does. I know how to pronounce Shersha Ronan. Shersha. Source code. I don't like Tim and Sally not being okay with each other. Right. I much prefer them being okay with each other. Absolutely. So, so there's that part of it that That's I because don't you like. and I are Tim and Sally. Right. <laughs> But I, I'm enjoying this. I don't understand. I don't understand why he doesn't just tell her. He doesn't have to tell her that he's remarried. But to just say, well, yes, I'm in this relationship with somebody else, and that's why I need this divorce. You know, because she con- she's constantly saying, well, you know. I never got a divorce because nobody ever came around. That would have been his perfect. That would have been a perfect segue for him to say, right. "Oh well, I have found someone, and so that's why I'm here to get a divorce, please." And well, I think at the moment they're kind of equals. It's there's no uh, one of them doesn't need this more than the other on the face of it. But right. if he announces that he's married, then. The power kind of shifts that now she has this over him, so she can start. She kind of has the power right now, anyway. Let's be honest. I don't think she, she needs just, to sign anything. It's, she just got that five k off of him like that. They've been 
estranged from each other for so long, I don't think he needs her to agree to anything. They haven't been living with each other. They haven't... Right. I don't understand why he doesn't just file the papers. Right. And she gets served with it. And then that's that. Right. Although it takes a wee while to go through the courts and all that sort of stuff. But whatever. Why isn't he... Because, you know, when she says, well, I can't afford to file the papers, he does say, well, I can do that. I can help you with that. It's like, why don't you just get off your ass, Tim, and file the papers yourself? I'm curious as to why she lost both jobs as well. What did she do to lose both jobs? And then, yeah, because it seemed like the other woman behind the bar was like a relative or something. It seemed odd. This whole thing seems odd. It seems odd that she just kind of shows up and hasn't filed the paperwork yet when, you know, the last time we saw her, she's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. She's at it. There's, there's... There's something going on. There's a long con there. Right. Moving on then, our next storyline is Managing Bethany. On Monday, Ray's at the Bistro and Bethany is down a sous chef, but she says that she's managing and she explains how she's like shuffling rollers and stuff. And Ray is impressed with Bethany and this makes her quite chuffed with herself. Yes. Abby meets up with Ray to cancel their date because they had a date. It turns out that he's too busy anyway trying to find a manager for one of his hotels. Right, he has they someone had a in lunch mind, date and thanks to Kev telling her she has to work right. through lunch. Yeah. He has someone in mind to be the manager and Bethany overhears this part and thinks that he's talking about her. Then later, That's Abby's about always to, a danger. Right, and plus Bethany. Abby's about to close up when Bethany comes along looking for Ray. She wants to tell him how much she's interested in the management job, so she goes to the garage to look for him. Right. That's that's so Bethany. And that's that's when, you know, Abby notices the fire in Chesney's house. Right. And goes to save everybody and then oh, not get we're thanked. not talking about that again. No. On Wednesday, Bethany jumps a gun and tells Sarah that she's the new manager of the bistro. <laughs> so that obviously Nobody... isn't going to happen. Bethany, because she's an idiot, tells Faye that she's going to be the new, the new boss. Then they spot Alia going through the till and when Bethany confronts Alia about it, Alia announces that wah wah. She's a new manager. And she wants her to go scrub the bathrooms. Get that up your hole. Yeah, see, there's... And the way she just, like, immediately says, oh, there's a spill in the bathrooms. Why don't you go clean that up? That's that's what I'm like, huh? Yeah, somebody shot in the floor. We can clear it up. Right. You, Bethany, go clean it up. One of the worst things about travelling between Connecticut and, and uh, Michigan is the, the many fancy... <laughs> bathrooms that we have to uh, stop it along the way and I remember one in Ohio in that went into I think it was a gas station and I walked into the bathroom and somebody had shot on the floor oh dude's bathrooms are gross anyway <sighs> although apparently women's bathrooms are germier than men's bathrooms interesting yes because women spend longer in the bathrooms than men and they do more in the bathrooms apparently so they're in there longer, so they get exposed to more germs oh. or something. I don't know. It was on QI. Uh, enjoy your breakfast, folks. <laughs> then Bethany approaches Ray in the bistro. She wants to know why she's not the manager, damn it. Ray says that she has potential, <laughs> but she needs experience. <laughs> he asks her to be his main waitress, but this does not go down Head well waitress. at all. Head wait person. Then Daniel bumps into Bethany at Roy's Rolls and they talk about the manager's job and the best man, maid of honour type thing that I haven't spoken about yet. 
Carla says, maybe not working for Ray isn't the worst thing in the world. And Ray has some ideas for a new menu and wants Alia to hang back to sample it. Alia is quite oh, happy well, to... Carla says that and Bethany says, what do you mean? And Carla says, oh, never mind. Right. Later, Bethany quizzes Faye about Ray's history with Michelle and Alia isn't interested in this gossip and tells them to go on with it. In the Rovers, Carla explains to Bethany that Michelle was sexually harassed by Ray and Bethany already thought that he was a sleazebag. Did you, Bethany? Did you really? Did you think he was a sleazebag? Because it didn't seem like you did. She says, I don't know, she got some weird vibes off of him, which I'm sure she did. But maybe she was tamping them down because she was so eager for that manager job. Yeah, she was very eager to please, I thought. On Friday, Bethany turns not up for work. Eager, no, not that way. Bethany turns up for work and Ray is a little creepy to her. And she reacts very badly and Alia thinks it's because that she didn't get the manager job. Because he touches her. And she's like, get your stinking hands off me, you punk. Right, and he calls her my dear or something. Right. She's like, I am not your dear. Bethany explains what happened with Michelle, but Ray has convinced Alia that it was mutual and then tells Bethany to take the night off to think about her future. Go home and think about your future. So she heads to the cabin and reads in the paper something fantastic about Ray. Ray's in the paper. Right, well, it's something Ray. about the, you know, new bistro owner. Bistro under new ownership or something. She's furious and decides to quit. And Daniel is there lingering about and suggests that they have a cuppa and talk it over. So they go back to Daniel's and they do just that. Bethany has written out a list and Daniel says if she doesn't like her job then she should definitely quit Bethany needs a job though and doesn't want to live off her family well what do you want asks Daniel and she doesn't know and every once in a while Bertie starts to cry to interrupt them Mm -hmm. he tells her to make up her mind and go for it but maybe her future lies somewhere other than Weatherfield and she's like what that was that was rather abrupt he brings up the creative writing course that she didn't take and he assures her that she's clever enough. She can do whatever she wants. And she's like, well, I don't need you to tell me that. Yeah. She says that she didn't apply for the course because the story she wanted to use was a story about Daniel that Sinead found. Yes. Which I, was, I can barely remember. It was a f- fictionalisation about a woman who oh, yes. is in a romantic relationship with a man whose wife is dying of cancer. Yeah. Yes. W- well concealed. Yes. He thinks that she should still go for it, and Bethany agrees because Daniel told her to. Right, and he says, you know, that was a good story. It was well written. You know, and doesn't really touch at all about what it was written about. Right. The actress who uh, played Sinead has been in... Katie McGlynn. Yes. She took a vacation in Mexico recently. She's looking quite tan. Oh, uh, the actress who plays Emma is currently in Belgium on vacation. Alexandra Martel. Yes. Any more random facts? See, this is Corey News. <laughs> Eating Belgian waffles. Oh. We have a Belgian waffle maker. <laughs> it, was a gift, it was a gift from your father. Who just sent pancake mix through the mail. Right. And not just... Because you can't get that not in Not just Michigan. like a little, a, you know, a little box or something. No, this big, huge, massive family-sized box. Dear listeners, family is weird. You know that we drive back and forth at Christmas in a car with a very toty wee trunk. Yeah. So a waffle maker takes up an awful lot of real estate. Yeah. Your dad knows that. Mm. Because last year he gave us a rice maker. Yeah. Well, that's okay. My mother bought us an air fryer (laughs) and expected us to cram it back there. And then bought Stelly a sewing machine. No, no. Christine bought her the sewing machine. 
Mum bought her the, the jigsaw. Not trying to be ungrateful or anything, but next year, stuff that fits in our pockets, please. Nothing bigger than that. Gift certificates. Mm-hmm. Or, or food. Or candy and stuff. Or booze. Remember, Anne bought, bought us... Uh, oh, the cheeky little bottle Jameson. of... Jameson. Jameson, yeah. No, Dewar's. Was it Dewar's? Yeah. yeah. But unfortunately, she also bought us glasses, so we had to bring the glasses home. <laughs> Just bulky But we were, able to, we were able to drink the... <laughs> yeah, took one for the team okay. and... You were able to drink the Dewar's. I didn't get of any of it. So anyway, then Bertie starts to cry. Again. Maria is coming out of the shop when she bumps into Daniel and Bertie. They have a weird conversation where Maria says that she enjoyed her cuddles with Bertie earlier and then goes in for some more. And she reckons that Bertie feels a little bit warm and then hands him back to Daniel. Mm. He goes home and is rude to Bethany, who basically ignores her as she leaves. Mm-hmm. That's as far as yeah, we go because he's frantically looking for a thermometer, which is the most truest to life thing you never I've ever seen on Coronation Street because we can never find a thermometer in this house when we need it. Thermometers nail clippers. and nail clippers. <laughs> We must have like a million pairs of nail clippers, <laughs> but, but we can never them. find them. No idea where they are. <laughs> yeah. Continually buying nail clippers. Oh, we need just like mean potatoes. I buy potatoes all the time. And that's how we get like three bags of potatoes. Bags of potatoes because you're constantly I, thinking I, that I, you're out of do potatoes. Do we have potatoes? Because we need potatoes. No. We never have Hobbit. nail clippers. <laughs> never have nail clippers. Are you secretly a hobbit? Just a really tall one. I don't have hairy feet. Potatoes. I like a potato every now and again. Potatoes. Right. So, what's going on here then? Uh, This is the... This is the beginning of the end for Bethany. Right. Kind of concerned that Bertie's ill. Mm, Remember... Don't know what they're going to do to that poor wee child. Remember, Bertie didn't get all his jabs. Oh, God. So he's going to get something like chicken pox or something. Is that what it is? Oh, don't tell me. I don't want to know. I'm 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 just pointing out that Daniel freaked out and took Bertie away before he could get all his jabs. And then oh, was that last week or the week before? A couple of weeks ago. And then Peter made a quip about anti vaxxers. Oh, that was a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Yeah. And we haven't seen and Daniel said, Oh yeah, no, I'll get him back. Oh God, this is all we need is more reasons for Daniel to blame himself and be Oh Anti Vaxxers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what that is then, I guess. Mm. And a pregnant woman held this baby who hasn't gotten all his jabs. I've been convinced since Maria got pregnant that she was never going to have that baby. So that would kind of tie in with that, Mm. if that was to happen. Mm. Hmm. If you've been affected by (laughs) if you're a child who secretly needs vaccines... If you've had the measles... I need someone to talk to. <laughs> Call this number. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, Bethany going on a creative writing course. Oh. It would be good. It would. It would be, I think, the most ideal way for her to exit would be to go away to school of some sort. Which allows her. Which allows a potential, yeah, it it allows a road back. It's a fairly inspiring, you know, good for you. Here she goes off to school because we tried to do that with, you know, we tried to do that with Sophie 
But then Sophie just couldn't be bothered with school and decided to <laughs> fuck, fuck off with her. Kate instead. Right. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's, they've always struggled I'm with just, decent storylines for Bethany. Ever since our uh, grooming thing, which I believe, did that happen before we started doing this podcast? Yes, it did. So that's like more than a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. Mm-hmm. They've just struggled to give her something to do other than stick her nose into other people's storylines. Right. Because even with the Daniel stuff with Sinead, it was... Yeah. It, it always felt like it was a kind of bit part to the storyline. It was always a kind of an add-on that, that right. I personally hated. But they, Yeah, they they were always going to have something where Daniel cheats on his dying wife in some way. So it's just rather unfortunate that it had to be Bethany because really, who else was it going to be? Right. Unless it was like some mysterious Rando, woman. Yeah. Um, it could have been Charlie. <laughs> Bring it in that um, way. Yeah, it always, you're right. It always seemed that the whole grooming thing would always step in and kind of ruin any other storyline. And it does kind of overshadow because it was mentioned. Right. It was, it was mentioned, mentioned once again, well. yeah. Because Ali is like, oh, you know, I, I know that you're uncomfortable about this because... Of what happened to you. You might be sensitive to, you know, a man touching you because, you know, you were abused. But that doesn't mean... Alia might as well have just said, not all men there. Right. <laughs> which was just infuriating. Hashtag not all men. <sighs> hashtag, hashtag yes, all men. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes, really. Uh... Watch your back. No, <laughs> actually, got my eye actually did turn around there. <laughs> he really did, <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So yeah, we'll see. Next up is oh, this might be penultimate. It is our penultimate storyline tonight. Woot woot! Our penultimate zombie. Sarah's wedding and woes. On Wednesday, Bethany and a leather trousered Sarah. Let's just take a moment just to. Recognise the leather trousers that Sarah was wearing on Wednesday. I didn't notice. See, see, I would. I noticed a hairy Billy. You noticed Sarah's leather pants. So we're even now. It just reminds me of Ross and friends trying to get his leather pants off. Uh huh. That was messy. Sure, that's what it reminded you of. I'm sticking to that storyline. I, I don't <laughs> care. You can. I used to own a pair. You of can leather. torture me as much as you like. I used to I own a. Tongue. I used to own a pair of leather pants. I wonder what I ever did with them. I would I'd, never be able to fit into them now. I've never worn leather pants. They're uh, more or, or leather trousers. More comfortable than than you think. Can you imagine leather underpants? Yes. <laughs> I've seen caveman shows. Hmm. <laughs> Hashtag feminism. <laughs> so they're chatting about Sarah's March wedding. Also, it's March now. Mm-hmm. Adam's going to ask Daniel to be his best man. What? They're, they're, they're the closest... It's the most depressed man in the street going to be. Right, but he's the closest in age to Adam of his family members. They used they to... They were roommates... each other's throats when they lived together. They were roommates together. They, they were briefly at each other's throats when it made sense for a storyline, but then they made up. They made up, like, almost a year ago. They're Sarah fine now. asks Bethany to be her maid of honour, and she agrees. See, that's weird. Why would you ask your daughter to... Your maid of honor. Why would you ask your son to give you away? Well, that makes sense. 
Well, or have all three of your kids give you away. But then again, I'm I'm trying to think. And I mean, Shona's recently in a coma. So who else is she going to ask? Gail? Gail would fucking Lily? do it. Gail would do it. Audrey? Max? No, Max can't do it. He's at Marion's. Joseph can't do it because he's in the bath. He's having, he's having to get bathed that day. But it's in March, yeah. People on this show really love baths. Because who was it who would... Oh, no, it was Hope who, who Hope and Ruby had a bath today. <laughs> I thought it was just Hope. No, it was the two of them. Did they both have a bath? Yep. Oh. Possibly at the same time. Very cute. So. Now, now that we've talked about bathing children again. Maria and Gary are at the hospital getting a scan. Well, Maria's getting a scan. They're not scanning Gary. The baby is looking great. So Adam goes around to see Daniel. He's listening the, to... Uh, the baby is looking great. But then Maria throws cold water on the situation by saying... That she's not going to look because she doesn't want to get attached just in case something happens. Like it did 11 years ago when she had a miscarriage. Well, that's a strange thing to say. Yes. So Daniel is listening to Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunnymen, which he says is the best song ever. That's a very good song. It is a very good song. I like I like a little Echo and the Bunnymen. Can't be a bit Echo and or the Bunnymen. Yeah, it's also one of the best band names of all time. I'm trying to remember what's that what's that echo in the bunny man song that I like that's the one that I always put in the jukebox hmm. well you think about that and I'll continue Adam asks him to be best man and Daniel is happy to agree Adam mentions that Bethany oh. will be made of honour which is fine by Daniel who insists that they're just sugar mates sugar kisses loops like sugar <laughs> sugar kisses I right says Adam then Gary and Maria are showing off their scan photo to Roy in Roy's roles. He's less than impressed at this miracle. In comes Sarah, who immediately goes to leave, casting up how Gary got his mitts on the factory, and later Carla throws some shade in their direction too. Later in the Rovers, Sarah bumps into Maria and Gary, who are still showing off the scan photo. Sarah expects to see a little fin on the scan, because he's a, <laughs> such he's a, a baby launcher. And then refers to the baby as Damien. Right. You've got a little devil baby there, Maria, and I'm not talking about the hair. She tells Maria that this isn't about her and that she's happy for her. Do we believe that? I'm happy for you and your baby. It's just that, you know, that it's, dude it's sucks. Possessed and right, because this dude Gary's sucks. A dick. Yeah, Gary's a dick. Because Gary is a dick. Yeah. On Friday, in the Rovers, Sarah and Maria make up, but Sarah explains how untrustworthy Gary is. She just wanted to get that off her conscience, and now it's down to Maria right. to make up her mind. Just in case something happens later on, she doesn't want it on her conscience that she didn't step in and say something. Right. Later, Which is also a weird thing to say. Yeah. Later, Gary sees that Maria's down in the dumps and tells her to forget about Sarah. Gary heads off to the bogs, but then he gets a call, and instead of going to the toilet, he heads out the back where Maria overhears Gary telling someone that he loves them and can't wait to see them. Gary insists that he was talking to Jake and shows Maria the call records and then stomps off. And see, for the longest time, I thought I confused Jake with Zach. I thought, <laughs> Zach can't be two. No. So. How is he talking to him? How is he talking to him on the phone? But no, Jake is. Yeah. Is he's. The, the J one, not the Z one. Right. They both end in K. 
sort of. Then back at the flat, Maria apologises for earlier, and uh, Gary apologises too, and they agree that they're both as bad as each other. Then Gary Which gets a text from Nicola, who is inviting him down to Bristol to see Zach, the other one. He's about to ding her when he Maria thinks that they should all go as a family. Her, Gary, Liam, and whoever Jake. else. Yeah. yeah, call Izzy. We'll, we'll, well, take, yeah, we'll take both of the boys down. Right. It'll be fun. And Gary seems quite touched by this. I can, I can get David to take care of the barbershop by himself. Which he's more than capable of doing because he used to take care of the barbershop. Oh, no, wait, David's going to Leeds. So who's going to be watching the barbershop? Because they're the only two that work there. Maybe get Marion to do it. (laughs) She's doing everything else. Right. Huh. Maybe Audrey and Claudia will... Charlie will do it. Charlie will get another job there. (laughs) I'll be that. So many many hours going about. Uh And that's how we finish that storyline for this week. Yep. So I can see I can see the marriage thing happening though. Yeah. The marriage is but definitely a, happening. But happiness. Yes. It'll be nice. It'll be nice. Will Bethany still be maid of honor or will she have left by then? I think it probably coincides nicely with that. That she'll That's leave all after the way the wedding. in March. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well she just recently finished up filming. That's true. That's and true. That's two or three months behind, so Right. Or ahead. Ahead? Behind? Yeah. <sighs> What do you think is going to happen with Gary and Maria? Oh, well, crystal ball out. If there is something wrong with the baby, then Gary and Maria, are they only together because of the baby? No, because, I mean, they were together before the baby. That's how babies happen. Well, that's how babies happen. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh, so I don't know. I can see that I can see it affecting Gary right. quite badly. Yeah. And Maria for that matter. Well, Gary hasn't lost a kid yet, whereas Maria has. So But I don't know. Do you think that Gary's still in line for being the the big supervillain? Because we can we keep on kinda of forgetting about this. Right. Even though he continually Right, because people. because because he said, you know, he had Ryan do his dirty work and, you know, sup- supposedly tell everybody that he's not... He's quitting the loan shark business. He's quitting the loan shark business. Do you think that's going to stick? I don't think it can. Because then it's a completely unresolved, isn't it? Right. And he kind of gets away with it. Because he's got to get caught at some point for... For doing something. If it's not the factory roof, then be not. Oh God! Remember the remember the factory roof. Yeah, huh? We still. Uh, what was that? May last year. Right, and it's it's still not really resolved, is it? No, it's not resolved at all. It's everybody seems to have forgotten. We blamed Carla and. What's yeah? What's Carla got better and Wayne left. <laughs> With the report. Right. What happened to the report? Dum dum. Remember the report. Dum dum. Ugh. <laughs> oh. Fine. Timbot four thousand says this does not compute. You're such a doofus. I, I actually don't think that was warranted, but it's been a while <laughs> since I've had it. So, so if if he is truly the villain, then he's got to start doing bad stuff he, again. He keeps on kind of dipping in and out of being. Good guy Gary, bad guy Gary, and at the moment he's kind of 
good guy, Gary? Even right. though he killed Derek, essentially, right. at Christmas, or allowed because him to die. We have two other pretty awful people on the street right now. Right. We have Jade and who's Tim's... Who's much worse. Who's, and Tim's fucking dad. Who's much, much worse. Even though neither one of them have killed anybody yet. Right. But, you know... That we know of. I've listened to quite a few uh, crime podcasts. And one of the ones I was listening to this week, I think uh, Red Handed, they mentioned that uh, this baby got killed and there was a dog in the room and the the guy killed the dog as well. And the the other person on the podcast was like, (gasps) shocked at the killing of the dog, but not the killing of the baby. Right. So, yeah. Despite the fact that Gary has the blood of potentially Derek, definitely Rick the Chin. Right. And, and kind of beat the crap out of Ryan. And has beat the crap out of Ryan. And it's probably beat the crap out of some other people too. No, he beat the crap out of that uh, that detective. Right. Who Tim, then turned and worked for him for Tim's some reason. But fucking dad is still worse. Yeah, because when you kill somebody, that's it. There's nothing really more you can do to hurt them. Whereas what Yasmin is going through, that's a constant. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a long haul to get her out of it. You know, she's going to be affected by this for the rest of her life. Right. Just like the stuff that happened with her first husband has affected her to the point where she sees Tim's dad as actually being loving. So in answer to your question from five minutes ago... Yes, Gary's going to descend back into bad guy Gary after right, this. Right, yes. I assume. Our Something's final, going to trigger it. Our final storyline tonight is Hope in a Way. On hope floats. <laughs> <laughs> hope rises. On Monday, Fizz and Tyrone are in Roy's roles. She's worried about people talking about her. First the gun thing, now the kids in care. Fizz is missing everything about home, even Evelyn. Ty shows her a video of Ruby saying hello, which predictably upsets Fizz. But there's nothing from Hope. Fizz is worried now that Which Hope hates her. Which upsets Fizz right. even more. And Roy offers his assistance, calling Fizz a wonderful mother. Ugh, Roy is so sweet. I just love him to bits. Evelyn is getting the kids ready for school. They're playing out the back, and then Jade appears and tells Hope to keep her phone on and keep it charged and keep on silent. Yeah. On the way to school, Ruby is disappointed to learn that they won't be seeing Jade again. Ruby wanted to play hospitals with her because she draws such good bruises with her makeup. Oh, for fuck's sake, says Hope. And, and she Hope's trying to shush. Yeah. Fucking shush. And everybody looks at each other saying, well, what? why didn't we ask Ruby about all of this in the first place? Right. Then aye, he, aye, aye. Evelyn whisks the girls off and tells Tyrone to get in touch with the social. Back home, the social has arrived saying that they need proof of the bruises being faked. She says that the photo was taken the day before the kids went back to school or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And Tyrone has a photo on his phone of the kids heading back to school uh, after the holidays. And wouldn't you know it, there's no, no bruises. bruises. The, show, the social thinks this isn't enough because the bruises could have faded and Evelyn's like, really? Ugh. She needs someone to say they were there were no bruises and then Ty remembers her going to see Gandas about her cut hand. Surely right. Gandas will be able to confirm it. Right. Cap- capital notion. So the shows, the social go to speak with Gandas unaware of doctor-patient confidentiality. Well, in this situation, there's no doctor-patient conf- yeah, confidentiality because it's a, it's an actual investigation. So... But they're not, they're not the police. Well, still, they're social workers and a child's been abused. And Let's all remember. Let's all remember. Who's the one who called the social workers and reported in the first place? Hmm? Hmm? It was Dr. Gadas. Gadars. Who 
you know, who, when Jade showed her those pictures, didn't say, well, when were these taken? When did this happen? Right. Asks no leading questions, just tells her she's done the right thing and immediately calls the social worker. I used to love Dr. Goodass. Now I'm not quite sure. Right. Later, the social confirmed that Gadas confirmed that there were no bruises, but Hope is still sticking to her original story. Right, yeah. Hope oh. needs to voluntarily speak up. Which is so infuriating to me. So infuriating to me. I, you know, um, the CBC does a lot of great um, podcasts. They do. Especially like crime podcasts. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be starting one, I think, next week. The about, satanic one? About the satanic oh, panic. Looking forward to that. And in the trailer for the Satanic Panic one, somebody says, back then, we were all, you know, back then I was a child and all of the adults were acting like, well, children never lie. And I was looking at them like, children lie all the time. Right, that's all they do. What, what's, what's wrong with you people? We lie to you all the time. And all I could think of was hope about that when I was listening to this trailer because it's true and social workers should know that. And if you have verifiable proof, photographic proof, evidence from the doctor, it doesn't really matter at that point what the child is saying to you. You know, yes, we should believe children when they say they're being abused, but then once you investigate it and you have proof that what the child is saying is wrong, that should be it. So later on, Ruby and Hope are arguing over a bag at the dinner table. Eva nabs a bag and finds Hope's phone. Hope claims it was given to her by a school friend, but Ty sends both girls upstairs, presumably to Bath, while he and Evelyn go through the text between Jade and Hope, where it becomes clear that Jade has been manipulating the situation, telling Hope that her mummy doesn't love her. But it turns up that the social don't think that the texts are the be-all and end-all. She needs to speak with Hope again, and Fizz convinces her to do it at the house rather than in the office which was weird. The social asks Hope about the phone and the bruises, but Hope doesn't want to chat, and Tyrone reminds Hope of all the lovely things Mummy has done for her. Mummy will always love her, and that's enough, and Hope admits that Jade painted the bruises, and Jade told her to blame Mummy. Then Jade is being interviewed by the social, and she claims giving her kid a mobile isn't a crime, and she says she did it because she was worried about Fizzy's harming of Hope. And then she also says, you have no right to look through that phone, and the social worker says, quite rightly, we're talking about an eight-year-old child here. Right. <laughs> Every right to here. look over this phone. Jade tries to paint a picture where the texts were all innocent. No one seems to quiz her on the painting of the bruises, though. I've wondered if that happened before. I don't think they need to. They, right. they, you know, they're they're pretty much got her bank rights. Right, and they're just waiting to see if she confesses or if she sticks to the story, which they all know is bumpkiss now. Jade is surprised that she can't see hope, and the social teller to stay away. So Fizz has been allowed home. Yay! Jade should not get access to the kids now and Hope is less than impressed and wants her phone back. <laughs> that was funny. Can <laughs> I have my phone back now? No! Ty tells Fizz to go easy on Hope, then goes off to Dev's to pick up dinner. Fizz speaks with Hope and gets a cuddle from her. She's not cross with Hope, but Hope really wants to see Jade. Fizz tells her Jade will never be in this house again and she runs upstairs and grabs Fizzy's phone and we see inside Hope's bedroom where I don't think we've been before. And she tells Jade on the phone that she's not welcome anymore, but she really wants to go away with her. Then Fizz and Tyrone are in the room, looking at the kids who they think are fast asleep. Ty promises that Jade will be a bad dream in a few days, and they leave, and Hope 
Her wee cheeky wee eyes open here. Mm-hmm. She's not been sleeping at all. And she gets out of bed, puts on her jacket, and grabs a bag and looks ready to do a bunk. Yeah, see, the way the way that they talk to Hope about this whole situation, you know, you're not in trouble, but you can never see Jade again. And not explaining why she can never see Jade again. Look, Jade, you know, you're not in trouble, but Jade is because she shouldn't have said all those things about mommy. Mm-hmm. Done. Right. You're not being specific. You're not throwing Jade necessarily under the bus. You know, you're still confirming that it's not Hope's fault that all of this stuff has happened. Just explain it to kids. I don't know, understand why adults have such a hard time explaining things to kids. Because up the stairs and first door on the right, there's a bath. <laughs> so if you just send them there, everything will be fine. And because plot. On Wednesday, Fizz Tyrone and Evelyn are getting used to life being back to normal. Fizz remarks that the back door was open this morning. Isn't that strange? Hmm. Ruby gets up, but there's no sign of hope, and she's not upstairs either. Fizz checks on her, but again, there's no sign. Jade must have taken her, they all um, assume. And the police around at Tyrone's asking for a recent photo. Fizz and Ty make it clear that they think Jade is behind us. What if they never see their darling daughter again? So the police go around to see Jade, who pleads her innocence, and discovers that Fizz is in the clear. The cops search Jade's house as Jade insists that they're wasting their time. And well, then she has a sly wee look up at the... nervously looking up at the... Attic hatch. Attic, yeah. And I assume, well, that's where, well, that's where, that's where hope, hope is. is. Back at Fizzy's, she remarks that she's lost her phone while the police confirmed that hope isn't at Jade's because they didn't search the attic. Tyrone hates us hanging around, so Evelyn tells him, well, go and make you see yourself then and organise a search party. Why on earth wouldn't they search the attic? I know, but probably the first place you'd look right right yeah when when the attic door is blue and the ceiling is white but it's you know very obvious that there's mm-hmm. an attic hatch there and the rovers roy is orchestrating the search party and we get to see toya and imran Yay! together in the Woo! same scene for the first time in around five months right and toya says imran and i you know in a way that makes it clear they are still a couple I'm even still though him. nobody we're still banging even though we never see them together Toya follows us now on Twitter as well. Yay! Yay. Abby, who appears to be the only person Charlie, to get... Charlie liked it when you liked your tweet that said, yes. Yes. Yes, queen. Abby, who appears to be the only person to get anything done on the street, is there, as is Alia, <laughs> while Jenny pointlessly asks if they're sure Hope is proper missing. Are you not... I, I'm not trying to be funny, she says, <laughs> yet again. And it's like, Jenny, maybe you just need to keep your mouth shut. Because, I mean, to be fair to her, she doesn't know about all of this stuff. But... You know, once once again, she's, you know, insinuating that Fizz is a bad mother and that Hope is a bad kid. And it's like, if you only knew. Right. Ty has to waste time partially explaining to Jenny about Jade being John Stapes' daughter. Jenny, you tried to kidnap a child once. Yeah, so. Shut up. Wind your neck in. Fizz has found Paradise Lost in Hope's bookshelf. It's a book John was reading while spying on Fizz from the attic. Maybe Jade has Hope in an attic. Maybe it's a sick joke. Fizz goes to phone the cops. It rings twice, and that's enough for Fizz to determine that the however, cops aren't answering their phone. However, how would Jade her- know about about all of that? Although, let's remember, what was Jade reading? Paradise Lost. Yeah, at John. Uh, yeah. And so she goes over to sort it herself. Be careful, warns Evelyn. Bernie's watching all the police activity and wonders aloud to Faye if there's a reward. She's only seeing what everyone is thinking, says Brexit. I mean, Bernie. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> fucking Jenny is spouting her shite to Sarah about Hope faking it. 
Fizz somehow manages to break into Jade's flat by smashing through the double glazing or something. She rushes upstairs and sees the attic door. And she goes up and she finds a bag. She doesn't find hope, but she finds a bag which has the confirmation of the tickets that Jade's bought and Hope's passport. Meanwhile, the search party has drawn a blank. Ty bumps into Jade, who pretends that she's part of the search party. Jade says Hope is a deeply unhappy little girl, which is why she ran away. Ty asks if Jade has a special place with Hope where she might have taken her. Or where she might have gone. Mm-hmm. She has one place but doesn't say where. Then Jenny, the fucking irritant that she is, <laughs> interrupts, which allows Jay to slink off. Right, because she and whoever she was searching with, oh, Sarah, they found a red jacket that may or may not be Hope's. Right. So Jade runs to John's grave, seemingly genuinely worried about where Hope's got to. She shouts her name and Hope appears from the bushes. Hide another grave. Right. Hope knew that Jade would find her. She was waiting for Jade to arrive and wants to run away now. She'd been hiding out at the graveyard all, all night. night. Jade says that she has to take her home. Then back home, the police are there and Fizz has explained about the tickets and the passport. Ty comes in and explains that he saw Jade, who claimed to have nothing to do with Hope's disappearance. Where did she go? Fizz tells the cops to get their fingers out. And the police arrive at Fizz and Ty's and there's been a sighting of Hope and Fizz runs off with the cops. Tyrone and Evelyn chat about whether Jade has her. Evelyn thinks Jade wouldn't hurt her and Ty feels selfish for feeling relieved when Hope went off to Birmingham. Evelyn sympathises, then goes to off to walk the dog, and at that point, Jade comes through the back door with Hope in her arms, and Hope is a freezing wee girl. Jade insists that she didn't take her, but Ty tells her to make sure that she stays the fuck away from them both. Right, yeah, she's like, can I come with you to the hospital? And Tyrone's like, I don't, no! I don't think that would be a great idea. No! At the hospital, Hope has Fizzy's phone. Jade insisted that she didn't have Hope, and Hope backs that up. So Fizz gets home to find Jade there. How did she get in? Well, she's and still there. How long has she been standing there? She's just, she hasn't she's left. She's standing in the same place she was standing so she when just Ty left. So she just stood in that same spot for like two hours because... That's creepy AF. It's like, why Why are you still here? <laughs> then Fizz gets home to find Jade there. Jade explains that Hope is at the hospital and that she didn't have anything to do with her disappearing. Fizz isn't interested in chatting and whacks Jade's coupon with the chopping board. Well, no, she's like, where, where is she? And you took her, blah, 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 blah. And is not really listening when, when she says, no, I didn't take her. And then smacks her over the head with a cutting board. And knocks her out. Oh, then the look comes on Ty. Fizz's face. Oh, God, what have you done? Brilliant. Pure rage. Yes. Pure, utter rage. Absolutely. Which, rightly so. And wearing a uh, mustard... Sweater that reminded me of Nick's, Nick's mustard, mustard sweater. sweater, which I think is still yes, it's still here. Car. No, it's it's on top of Dobby's cage. All right, with uh with his Chewbacca jammies. I need to bring those over. On Friday, unusually, we find ourselves picking up exactly where we left off on Wednesday. Jade is still on the floor, unless we've waited like a full day <laughs> and it's now morning. Jade is on the floor and Fizz is hovering over her. Ty confirms that Jade is alive and that Hope is with his nan. Fizz goes to call the at police. At the hospital. But then Evelyn is at the door. She's locked herself out. And she comes in with the kids and Ty and Fizz send the girls up to have a bath. Evelyn barges into the living room and Jade is gone. She's like Michael Myers. Yes. At the end of Halloween. Yes, One. she is. Fizz quickly covers up the blood stain on the carpet with her foot and Evelyn goes off to help the girls and Ty rushes off to find Jade. Ty hasn't found her and Fizz thinks that she's headed straight to the police. Tyrone advises that she stays calm. It's all going to work out. But now we see that Jade has apparently passed out in the gunnel. <laughs> Fizz is cleaning the carpet when Evelyn comes back in. Fizz blames red wine for the stain, but Evelyn doesn't see any glasses and demands to know what's going on. There are no flies on Evelyn. 
No, she's like, oh, well, I'll take a glass. And they're like, we oh, drank it. it all. Really? Where are your glasses? Well, I spilt half of it. Mm-hmm. Fisk confesses then to knocking out Jade. Oh, oh. Good, but, but, says Evelyn. Before that, and this is where I thought you were going with that horrible dog story. Before that, when they first come in, Cerberus goes straight to the blood and starts licking it off the carpet. Which was awful. Oh, no, we're back in Scotland. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> I was doing the dishes because we didn't have a dishwasher. Right. So I'm doing the dishes and I'm washing the glass. It's just like a glass tumbler. Right. And I'm getting the little mm-hmm. sponge in there and cleaning it out. Yeah. And when my hand was in it, the glass shattered and it cut me right. open across the knuckles. Yes. And because my hands had been in hot water, the blood just absolutely started pushing out. Right. Onto the uh, kitchen floor. Uh-huh. Our cat had not moved as quick as this in its life <laughs> as it did to get over there and start licking up the blood. So you slept with one eye open for the rest of your time with that cat. Absolutely, because once it has a taste for blood. A taste for human blood. Right. Yes. That cat is now a vampire. Yeah, that cat is now dead. That's a shame. I love that cat. No, so, she's undead. Yas- Yasmin is coming home from the copy and explaining herself to Tim's fucking dad when she spots the body in the gunnel. With Fizz on a suspended sentence, Evelyn suggests lying through her teeth. Tyrone thinks that she should go and see her mum again, but that takes Fizz away from her kids. Evelyn suggests that they stick to the same story. Jade left here after dropping off Hope and they haven't seen her since. And it was really sad because before Yasmin finds Jade... She bumps into Alia and Alia's like, we should go, we should go hang out, Gran, and, and spend time together. And Yasmin's like, oh, no, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm not, I'm not very I have well, to, I'm too busy. I have to run home to my and fucking I'll, abusive husband. And I'll just like, is he keeping you prisoner? Right. Kind of joking, but not really. Right. Yeah. So there's a knock at the door and it's a police. There was a 999 call from this house that was terminated. Tyrone says, oh, it was just the kids. Oh, yeah, but the police also want to talk about a possible assault. What well. So they confirm that Jade was found with a serious head injury and think Fizz can shed some light on what happened. Evelyn kind of controls this, the conversation and sticks to the story, and the police leave saying that they'll question Jade and they'll get to the bottom of this. Right to the bottom of this. So Fizz and Tyrone quiz Hope, uh, and she says that she wanted to see Jade and her real daddy's grave. She talks about John, and Fizz explains that he was a teacher who made mistakes and got into trouble. Hope says Jade says that people tell lies about John, and she wants to see Jade again. No chance, says Fizz. Yeah, and she, and she explains a little bit more, a, a little bit better than she did yeah. the last time. So later, Fizz's conscience has got the better of her, and she's about to head off to the cops when the door goes again, and he was like, oh, who the fuck is that? And then Fizz goes to face the music. Well, she's, she's scrubbing the dog dish. <laughs> but it's not the cops, it's Jade, and she asks to come in. You know, wearing the hoodie with the blood on her Head. She really, she really does remind me of a, a serial killer in a horror movie. <laughs> right. Jade remembers what happened. Evelyn just wants to know what she told the police, and she claims to have told them that she was mugged and she never saw who it was. Jade never met her dad, but she knew that he loved her because he kept on sending her cards. Her mum blamed Fizz for making John go mental, and Fizz says that he never mentioned having a daughter. Yeah, she's very carefully saying. I, I was with him for a very long time, and he never mentioned that he had a daughter. He loved me. He sent me cards. How much you want to bet it was her mother sending those cards? So Jade goes back to the cards and him loving her, and Fizz advises speaking to her mum about this. And, Jade's, and Jade to... says, 
Yeah, I think I will. Jade seems to apologise for everything. Uh, she just wanted a relationship with her sister. She wants to make it up, uh, but she knows that she can't, and no one will know what happens so long as she gets to see Hope. And Evelyn thinks this stinks like potential blackmail, and Jade doesn't react and leaves, but Hope sees her and comes running down the stairs asking Jade to take her away. Even though <laughs> only five minutes before, Evelyn had come down and said that Hope was out cold after her bath and a little bit of Harry Potter. Right. But all of a sudden she's awake again. Jade says that's impossible and leaves. Evelyn still doesn't trust Jade. Tyrone suggests maybe letting Jade see Hope every now and again on their terms, like maybe once a month in the park. And Evelyn (laughs) and Fizz both tell him he's fucking mental. Fizz would rather rot in prison than let Jade see Hope. And that's how we finish this week's episodes. Do you like the fact that the show seems to almost kind of want to redeem Jade a little bit by making her seem like she's genuinely sorry and that she's genuinely come to her senses when she finds hope freezing to death. She's very quickly changed her tune, hasn't she? And the fact that she brought her home. Mm-hmm. She very she didn't have to do that. No, and the plan the plan's cancelled now. We're not doing that plan anymore. We're right. not we're not running away. Even though she's already bought the tickets. Right. Of course Fizz and the police now have the tickets. Right. So that could be part of it but the fact that she told the police that she was mugged and the fact that she's like i'm i'm gonna talk to my mom about this and the way the fact that she's you know she tells fizz my mom said that you're the one who made my dad go crazy she doesn't sound like she believes it completely anymore Mm. it seems like such an utter and complete 180 yeah it's a very quick switch yeah it it makes me uncomfortable, like the way the show tried to make Josh a sympathetic character. Remember that? Mm-hmm. When he got blinded and then when he got beat Multiple up. Multiple times, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of... If they try to do this with Tim's fucking dad, trying to make him a sympathetic character, even oh, though he's a baddie... Can. I don't think they can. I no. don't see how that can no. happen. He's, he's the vilest of vile. I d- See, typically this would be the end of Jade, that that's how she's out of it now. Mm-hmm. I don't think she is. I don't think she is, and I wonder what her motive is for not, not, not telling going to the police or telling the police a lie Right. she got mugged. Right. Because she does say to Hope, I don't know when I will see you again. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't, you know, she's 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 sitting down and actually talking to fizz and she's not shouting accusations and stuff do you think no, it's she's... a very calm conversation really isn't it so in between finding hope in the cemetery where hope could have very seriously gotten hurt she could have somebody somebody awful could have found her right and done awful things to her I'm... she could have frozen to death out there in the cemetery and prior there... to finding her as far as jade's concerned uh-huh. hope has run away yeah so that gives her worry, I guess. Right. That gives, I guess, gives her pause that maybe she shouldn't be manipulating this little eight-year-old girl. Right. Which but if she's as bad as she seemed to be, right, she wouldn't think twice about that. Right. Yeah. See, it almost, it's almost like she wasn't crazy 
and she genuinely did believe that she was doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But she was going about it in a very crazy way. Right. With crazy eyes. Right. And that hoodie. Ugh. I think she was also cowed a little bit by the fact that Fizz really did lamp her oh. with that cutting board. <laughs> That's beautiful. You know, because I think I think she kind of felt like Fizz was a bit of a a bit of a pushover. Yep. She doesn't think that anymore. Still doesn't look like we're getting any explanation as to how the two of them met and it was just just down to coincidence. Right. And doesn't somebody actually say that this week? Says, Well, how did she get a job at that place? It doesn't make any sense. Right. <coughs> somebody actually on the show says that. So that was last week, I think, wasn't it? But yeah, somebody somebody said it recently. Yeah. Well, how did she get to the pupil referral? Right. Was it Tyrone that said that? I can't remember, but still, it's... I don't know. Your moment of the week. Is it Fizz, Lamp and Jade? See, we gave it to Fizz last week. Yeah, we gave it to Fizz and Evelyn, remember? Because, you know, Evelyn sticking up for Fizz just pushed poor Roy and Nina out of the... Out of contention. Oh, that's right, yeah. Now I kind of wish we had given it to Roy and Nina because there was no Roy and Nina stuff this week. Right. That was a wee shame. I'm trying to think. <laughs> All right. Yeah, here we go. Abby barging in and, and, and saving saving them. I was, Abby being the only person on the street that can save anybody. <laughs> and then nobody ever thanking her, ever. Well, let's thank her then. All right. Let's give that our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. I had it in my head, and now I can't remember what it was. It was um, Chesney and Gemma arguing once again who gets to have a nap first and who has to go to the shops. Yeah, because we kind of did that. Over and over and over again. And I mean, I understand that it's the thing that has to happen for them to almost die in a fire. I get it. But it's just... So it's thanks to the boring moment of the week that we managed to get our moment of the week. Isn't that funny how that happens? But Uh, it's Life's like that though, isn't it? You know, it's So often my boring moment of the week leads into my moment of the week. Over and over again, we have them arguing over who's more tired and then the baby's crying all at once. Okay, so that's our... Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Shall we wrap this one up? What was that? Oh, I presume Benny kicking a ball about something. Mm. If you've mistakenly assumed that you were getting a promotion with the slimmest of evidence to back that up, feel free to vent and drop us a line at the talk of the street at gmail.com, which is how you can leave a voicemail on Skype or drop a couple of nuggets in our virtual tip chart on PayPal. Other than that, we are at Cory Podcast on everything. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode, and we shall be back next week with more Talk of the Streets. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers.
Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.